Mind Your Mentals podcast is meant to help you name, identify, and understand the disorders that are prevalent in our society. We also strive to help you to understand the science behind the disorders and also understand what it may mean for you, your life, and your loved ones. The concept of mental health is way too broad and ambiguous, and so Mind Your Mentals podcast is here to help you demystify, untangle, and overall just simplify the entire process. Mental health is far from an easy topic, but yo, trust us, we got you. So make sure that you tune in every other Sunday to go on a new journey with Tim, Mal, and their featured guests. Yo, check it. This is the Mind Your Mentals podcast featuring Tim and Mal. Tune in, check in, subscribe, but mostly, Mind Your Mentals. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Mind Your Mentals podcast, MYM podcast. Excited to dig into our last topic, actually, where Tim and I sat and talked about the gun violence epidemic here in Philadelphia. Um, We got such great feedback around it that we actually wanted to do a part two. So we brought in a guest who we feel could really speak to his experiences and and just talk to us a little bit more and talk to Tim a little bit more about just some of the things that folks are experiencing, especially around PTSD. Um, And so as we talked about the last time, uh, Philadelphia is going through a really serious epidemic with gun violence. Um, Really, unfortunately, is nothing new for this city but we are actually in the process of breaking records here. And so we really, again, felt that it was important for us to kind of keep this conversation going. And so we have the opportunity to be joined by our guest, my Span Wilson, who, who has consulted with Good Shepherd Meditation Program for seven plus years, implementing peer meditation programs in schools, serving as a mediator and facilitating youth programs. Mai is a social worker, psychoeducational workshop facilitator, activist and also a spoken word artist, really dope dude in that regard as well. In addition to his work at GSMP, my leads anger management groups and domestic violence groups at the Men's Center for Growth and Change. He also facilitates workshops for recovering addicts at Jefferson Hospital, RHD, and the Interim House. My graduated from Temple University with a master's of social work, Go Owls. He has made it his personal mission to inspire people through transformational engagement and providing safe spaces for people to heal. Tim, Mai, what's going on, fellas? How y'all feeling today? Good, good, man. Good, good, man. So, uh, you know, it's uh, our first week. Uh, it's opening week, you know what I mean? So if you don't know what that means, opening week is uh, open week of the NFL season. So this is my favorite time of the year. I love the fall specifically because it's football season. So I'm in good spirits today. Absolutely. Go Birds. Eagles up right now. 7-6 on the Falcons. Doing a read of real birds. Just so everybody know. Um, mm-hmm. Love the fall, too. September is my birthday month. So I'm always turned up for September. Football starts. It's my birthday month. Time to turn up. Um, but it's not about that. Um, so, you know, we are here for a very specific reason. And so my, I gave you a sort of brief overview and introduction. But if you don't mind, just tell us a little bit about yourself and why you decided to join us today. Yeah, so you know, I'm 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 a um, social worker and by trade therapist, executive director of the Men's Center for Growth and Change, and um, yeah, I mean, I got into this field. I mean, I always felt like um, people around me, you know, even from a young age, from childhood, you know, told me that I had a gift uh, to to heal people and that I should be a therapist. I remember my mom telling me when I was real young, and if um, you remember uh, uh, Goodwill Hunting, I remember watching Goodwill Hunting, you know. That movie was was you know very responsible along with um what's the one with uh Antoine Fisher you know both mm-hmm. of those movies you know I remember being a young a young uh child teenager and um knowing like okay this is what I want to do and you know I grew up and, and did that and I just feel like you know uh, I'm a very I'm a very talented dude but healing people in therapy you know facilitating workshops is my greatest gift from God so awesome that's awesome brother thank you. And so you mentioned that you're a very talented person, dude, that wears a lot of different hats, has a lot of different skills. How did you end up getting into the mental health field in the first place? You mentioned those two movies sort of played a role, but ultimately, how'd you make the decision to go ahead and move forward in that regard? Yeah, I mean, I went to I went to University of Maryland for undergrad. You know, it it was an interesting journey. But when I went to University of Maryland, I mean, the 
I, I couldn't figure out what I wanted to major in. And I think that ultimately the main, the main thing that I did know is that I didn't see a lot of black people that looked like me in the, in the history books. So I, I was like, well, you know, African-American, you know, history looks like a, a dope degree. And I ended up doing that. And, and in doing that, you know, I felt like, you know, that really led me on my journey. You know, I, uh, for my, for my senior internship, I had this opportunity to, um, you know, they gave me three different uh, young boys that didn't have father figures. And I got to spend 10 hours a week with them and go to their school. And so, you know, I, you know, I love that opportunity that, that just opened up so many doors for me. That was such a, such a uh, impactful experience. And I was like, okay, I think I have a special gift for seeing, you know, the, the gifts in other people that other people marginalize, right? And so my, you know, my, my LLC is called um, UAF Consulting, which is unapologetically a force because I always tell youth, I don't want them to apologize for the for force that's inside them. So, you know, that started me on my journey. Like, yo, I got to do youth work and particularly with black and brown uh, youth. That's dope, my brother. And so what are some of the themes that come up in your sessions or like some of the themes or current themes that you see with your client? And even maybe if you want to like narrow it down some to talk specifically about like the youth that you work with, mentor, like what are some of the things that you sort of helping them or helping guide them through as they're moving into like young adulthood to adulthood? I mean, when you ask that question, the first thing that comes to mind, the reoccurring theme is that um, still the stigma around therapy, right? And so, you know, even when, when I work with youth and I do, you know, uh, work with youth that get arrested in the city, it's like, I'll never forget one specific conversation, but this also reflects, you know, larger, larger conversations. But, you know, this youth, you know, he came into the session and was just like, you know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I can't talk that well. I was shot, shot in my jaw. You know, that was how he introduced himself. He asked me, he just looked me in my eyes, like black, black man to black man. And just like, you know, do you think it's okay for me to go to therapy? Everybody keeps saying I need to go to therapy. Everybody keeps saying I have PTSD. Like, you think I should? And I said, and I was like, yeah, I think it would be good for you. And like, I could see something release, like in his body, something release, like, oh, another black person said I could go to therapy. Like, so that's a good idea. Like. So I, you know, I, I remember, remember conversations like that, but I think, you know, it's still a stigma and, and unfortunately, you know, for us, like this idea of like getting help and, and getting therapy. And, you know, matter of fact, right before we, we uh, did this, I was just on Facebook and somebody posted a, a black man just post, what do you do with your emotions? You know, where, who do you talk to? And just like 10 men just responded immediately, you know, liquor. No, nobody. I talked to myself and I was just like, wow, I'm just observing and watching y'all. So I find that interesting. That's why this podcast exists, my brother. When Tim and I sat down initially and had the conversation and we were going back and forth around, like, who is this for? What's our target demographic? It's really around who you mentioned, people that don't think or don't know that therapy is an option. Um, and having Tim on here as a licensed therapist, having you on here, our first episode uh, that we released was two therapists and uh, Tim's former teammate, Ryan Mundy, talking about access to therapists. How do you find folks? I've shared that episode with a ton of Black men. I have two of my cousins that I'm encouraging to find therapy because we, you have to have a safe space. You have to have an out. Um, and so many times we do turn, we talked in the first episode about mar like liquor, marijuana, perk 30s, you know, all of those different options, but none of that solves anything, right? Like you haven't processed your issues. You haven't talked through any of the things that you're actually going through, you just kind of blanketed it over. And so, you know, I appreciate your transparency there. Um, anybody listening, if you haven't gone to therapy, it, it, you know, finding the right person isn't always easy, but the process is worth it to get a lot of that stuff off your chest and, and process your emotions, process your feel, feelings and thoughts in a very organized and professional manner. Um, anything you want to add there, Tim? It's just, you know, that the good thing that's happening now, society-wise, society is like, there's this openness to talking about therapies, this openness to talking about getting what you need, which is a supportive and, and healing perspective, right? Um, but there's still a stigma, right? With like the, the, the reason we're doing this podcast is to, to be totally transparent for, for black, black and brown men, black and brown kids. You know what I mean? Um, this is what, this is the one area we felt that, you know, we could really demystify some things that we could really 
close some gaps and really present um, this information that it, it really is okay to get help. You know, there's, there's no judgment. There's no, you won't be cast aside. And it's really for your benefit and for you improving your quality of life. So this is the, the what we're trying to aim at. And, and I just, you know, and, and honestly, you look at the field, like my, my uh, Jack, who we had in the show, um, myself, just off rip. And then my talk about it historically, like when we're trained as therapists, we're not trained around therapists who look and, and talk and walk like us. Just being honest, when I was trained as a therapist, I was trained um, about the found the, the founder, you know, or one of the founders which we trained from Freud. And, 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 and then we went through all the different therapists and none of them looked like us. None of them had the experiences that we'd had, but that's who we were trained from because those are the leaders, the people who were allowed to be leaders within this space. Let's, let's put it in that context. They were allowed to be leaders in mental health or psychoanalytic analytics or psychoanalytical work but overall even to this day there's not a lot of historically recognized black therapists out there black men as therapists so we're still have a long way to go in opening the field up recruiting more black men and 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 and, and folks of um latinx pop um backgrounds but well, we're here and so that's a good thing and so we got to push and be those advocates to really try to move this space and connect folks in our communities with the support they need and the support that they feel is they, they're as comfortable and they feel safe with because that's a big thing that really ruins the potential for folks to get the help they need it's just a mismatch and and that ruins the experience and so those who have been to therapy that experience can lead to the communication about what the therapeutic experience can be. And if it's negative, then they're gonna communicate that it was negative. So we gotta have not just more black therapists, but qualified and good black therapists to make sure that folks are getting the help and support they need. Yeah, no, nah, that's a fact. That's why I was so excited when I came across uh, Amos Wilson, because he was one of like the first more prominent black psychologists that I have really ever heard of black men. Um, he led me to Francis Cress Welsing, who is a woman, but a black woman in the field who are also like revolutionary simultaneously. Right. And so like you can have that overlap of being proud of being black, but also being in the field to help black people move forward and really find a safe space to be themselves and, and take ownership over the things that are sort of holding them back. This is the Mind Your Mentals podcast featuring Tim and Mal. And so in our last episode, you know, we really dug into trauma. We talked a lot about chronic trauma, some of the symptoms, you know, what that looks like, what the overarching sort of feeling is for people that have gone through those traumatic experiences. We touched a little bit on PTSD, but we didn't get too, too deep into it. And that's why we wanted to double back this time around with my to like have a, a much deeper conversation. So uh, Tim, yeah, I'm gonna kind of turn it over here to you so that you can sort of walk us through um, what the DSM five's definition of PTSD is, and then what are some of the overarching themes that we'll be talking about today? I'm, I'm going to try to not make this too heady, but this is uh, essentially, when we look, when we're talking about PTSD, there, there are certain markers, right? When, when we talk about depression, anxieties, there's certain markers that allows the, those in the field to really stamp and say, well, yes, this person might, could be experiencing these symptoms and this exact diagnosis or disorder, um, post-traumatic stress disorder. So I want to just go through a couple of the markers. There's more, but I want to just highlight the main ones that we might see or, or folks in our community might see within each other for folks who have experienced a traumatic event. So the first one is, how do you experience PTSD? Well, the first one is you directly experience a traumatic event. So the, the traumatic event directly happens to you or you witness it in another person and, and you witness the event as it occurred to the other person, right? So it's not just telling you about it, which can be sometimes considered a secondary trauma, um, but it's actually witnessing the experience that somebody else is having of a traumatic event. Uh, and then learning that the traumatic event occurred to a close family member or friend, right? That connection, that secondary connection where you learn that something happened to a family member, not just hearing a story, which, which is what we consider a secondary trauma, 
or of something that happened to somebody else with no connection, but you actually hearing the story or being told that something happened to somebody that was significant to you can cause PTSD. And then uh, this is something that I think is really important too, uh, with the perspectives of those first responders who arrive on the scene. You arrive on the scene, whether it's first responders or there's police, uh, those folks seeing a, a dead body, right? Seeing or triaging somebody who just got shot, right? Or somebody who just got stabbed. So those folks interacting with the person who just experienced a traumatic event that happened to them, they had the potential to experience PTSD, right? So, and so those are the, some of the ways that you could say, yeah, I, I could be experiencing PTSD because I've been exposed to one of those situations. And now, so the symptoms, right? In, intrusion symptoms, right? Involuntary thoughts, things that are happening to you that you are not necessarily um, aware of and you are not in line with as far as being okay with them happening to you. So your thoughts, your memories, reoccurrent, involuntary and intrusive distressing memories of the event, right? So the event happened, right? And some time has passed, you're reading a book, uh, you're watching TV, and then these memories just come out of nowhere, right? And these memories just come out of nowhere, they take over. Reoccurring dreams, distressing dreams in which the content is around or related to the traumatic event. My personal story, my family escaped uh, civil war in the early 80s. That's my mom came here in 79, right before the civil war. But in early 80s, early 90, late 80s, early 90s, there's a civil war in, in Liberia, West Africa, where the, the militia group uh, were, were just killing people left and right, right? So I had family, a lot of family migrate escaping civil war from West Africa to come to the States. And you hear their stories, you hear them talking about having dreams of vividly having the experience of hiding in the bushes because there are militiamen going and killing people, just killing villages, right? So they had those vivid dreams where the dream, not only is the visual dream, but you can smell the what was in the air in your dream, right? You can, you can still taste what, whatever was in your mouth, you can still taste the saliva that you had in the experience. You can hear everything as if you were still there, right? So those are some of the, those are some of the um, effects of being a part of a traumatic experience. Disassociative reactions, flashbacks, being somewhere and having involuntary flashbacks to where you're now going back to the event vividly, like as if you were there. And then also um, prolonged distress, at exposure to internal and external cues that symbolize or resemble aspects of the event. So that's nothing more but triggers, right? Anything that can trigger you to that's similar to that event can trigger you and cause that event to, to come up for you involuntarily. So those are some of the symptoms that might happen. A PTS episode, PTSD episode may look like fear, panic, along with flashbacks, sudden vivid memories of the event. But I want to I, I wanna be really intentional about making sure that we, we talk about PTSD within this topic of gun violence and, and just how it affects the community. So I want to bring Ma in. Ma, you talked about that, that young person that, that said they got shot in their, in their mouth so they couldn't speak well. Just in those situations, those circumstances, have you seen or have you worked with young people, especially young people, young Black men who have been um, engaged or have experienced gun violence? And what has that work been like for you? So I wanna, I wanna be honest. I mean, working with, gun, working with gun violence is not the, uh, you know, my main focal point, but I wanna bring to the, to the light that something that we don't talk about often when we talk about PTSD and we're talking about gun violence is this concept of complex PTSD, right? And so, you know, a lot of times when you think of PTSD, you think of people, you know, in war and then they, you know, and then they come back to the U.S. and they get to leave that environment. But when when you live in the same neighborhood that the trauma happened, that, that's complex PTSD, right? You have to go, that means you have to go back to the same place. You don't get to leave the place, right? And so we're talking about like an even higher level of trauma, right? Because it's like, I'm, I'm scared to like go back into my house. Like, I, I don't want to go back to my my block, like I saw my best friend get shot in front of the poppy store. Now I have to walk past it every day. 
when I come home from school, we forget about this, you know, or, or miss this, you know, this conversation around complex PTSD when you're not even able to leave. And that's what's happening a lot, right? When, when we're low income and we're talking about black and brown people, we're talking about people that um, have to stay in our neighborhoods, right? And they can't leave, they can't always just up and leave the place that the trauma happened. That adds on to even more stress, even more anxiety, you know, even more paranoia, you know, when we're talking about PTSD. And I've, you know, and I've definitely seen that, um, you know, with the youth that I worked with, for sure. Sorry, no, I was just gonna say that's a, that's an excellent point, Mai. And also that it's a recurrent theme, right? Like, you know, you've seen your friends, your family members dying in like a two block radius. And so that two block radius, that's your hood, quote unquote, is the same place where a lot of this tends to happen. And so almost anywhere you're going, it's like, oh, right there at that corner, that's where he died, right here at this wall, right in front of my house, people getting shot in front of their cribs, right? And like you live in that same house or that same apartment complex. And so thank you for adding that point around complex PTSD, because it's really not something that you hear mentioned a lot. And also the fact that like, you know, you see people say, well, why don't you move? It's not that simple, right? You know, you know, when you see people trying to evacuate for hurricanes, like, well, why didn't you leave? I don't have the wherewithal to leave. If I leave, I have nowhere to go, right? And so, you know, that definitely gets ignored, but I definitely agree, man. That's a valid point. Appreciate you. Like, I just want to add, because like, you know, I, I just moved from West Philly recently, but like when I was living in West Philly, like even, you know, a, a, a couple months ago, there was shooting at the end of, the, of my block, right? And it, you know, a father got shot and his, his I don't want to misquote how young the child was. I want to say the child was eight years old, got shot, but lived, but the father died. And so, you know, every time I walk my dog, like I'm like, you know, I'm like, Dag, like, this is where this person got shot. I'm looking at the sign, like, it looks like there's still blood on the sign where the balloons are. Like, did they wash the blood off? Like, like I don't even know if I want to, like, live here. You know, my girlfriend walked down to the end of the block. And, like, and this was the day, this was the day of the shooting. Like, you know, they had blocked off so you couldn't drive off the road or leave the block. And, and I'm just like, yo, where's she going? Like, what are you doing? Like, like somebody just got shot, you know, so I'm just scared, you know, you know, so it's this idea. It's like, every time I would leave the house, I've remembered that, you know, and I, I remember the next day thinking like, oh, it's as business as usual, even though somebody, like somebody got murdered right here. Like, it just looks like, you know, kids is walking to school again. Like, I mean, it, it, yeah, man, like it, it, it's real, especially like when you live in the neighborhood, it, it hits you totally differently when somebody gets killed and when you read it in the paper, you know? It it really yeah my it really does man and what and the you think about how we cope right you think about like you know black people in general how we have we have this resilience gene you know <laughs> kind of like had to grow this ability to overcome situations just because of our history right so we have this resilience gene uh, gene. And folks, have, you know, they, they monetize, they call it grit, but it's really resilience, right? And this is something we talked about, Mal, when we, when we met with Muhammad, right? He talked about resilience. So we got this resilience gene to where, like, it's not kicking in because you say, you know what, I'm going to overcome this situation. You, it's kicking in because you don't got no choice. <laughs> you, you know, you got no choice but to live your life in some aspect of normalcy, even though your normalcy now is incorporating the 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 reality that tomorrow somebody might got shot might get shot again. One of my close family members might get shot or I might get shot. That's the resilience now you have to build in to your life because of your environment, because of the lack of resources to, to just not be able to get up and go or not be able to get up and move with other family, right? You might have family all over the country, but the circumstances that they're living in might not allow for you and your family to go there to escape this neighborhood and the resources that, that you need to get up and go. It's not, it's not that simple. Even if you're renting, you do first, last and security. <laughs> you have to have triple the amount of, of resources to get up and go from one space to another. Right. And so that's a real thing. So now I don't have the resources to get up and go. I have to live with the reality that, I might be, I have to be in this situation. So I have to now formulate how I move. I have to, to make sure I, I put some things in place to be safe, 
but I'm not going nowhere and I have to submit myself to being okay with this on some level, okay with this reality that's, that's in my community. And so that's, that's the thing that like, like you said, my, that's a, that's a real deep thing that when these stories get reported, you never really have the comeback and aftermath story. You never really have how, how this thing has ravaged the community. The only thing right now that's really getting talked about is the numbers. The numbers are blowing the world away, right? But the numbers tell a story. Each person, each situation tells a story that has a ripple effect that completely changes the trajectory of the community. And so those parts of the thing never really get discussed. And so I, I think it's important that, and I appreciate you saying that as far as that complexity of PTSD from the standpoint of like, you, you just can't escape it. There, there's a notion that you have the ability to physically escape it, but it's still living with inside you. But no, you don't have the ability to escape it and it's still living with inside you and you don't have a choice but to reconcile with it. <laughs> like deal with it, you know what I mean? Or not, or just survive. So I appreciate that perspective, man, um, and thank you for that. But yeah, complex complex PTSD is a real thing. Yeah, and a ripple effect is real, man. That's something I talk to a, a lot of people about, just piggybacking off of what you said there. It's like, yeah, we look at the numbers, but like a person was shot, right? Murder, so their family is now adversely affected. The person that did the shooting is adversely affected too. I mean, very few people can commit murder without having some sort of mental anguish, right? Like I remember I was uh, rapping with this dude down in Houston and he was about to have a kid. And so he was kicking it one day and he was just telling me that every night from like his wife being, or his girl being like six months pregnant up until right near the baby, he had a reoccurring dream about this dude that he had killed every night. And as we were talking about it, I'm just like, to your point, I'm like, well, how do you reconcile that? Like, how do you deal with it? And he was like, I just smoke more weed. That's a toll, man, right? You know, we we don't talk about that ripple effect. We don't talk about as his child is coming into the world, he now has to not only reconcile what he's done, but also manage those relationships with the people around him just so that he's not out in himself, right? Because, you know, you, you still got to carry on as if things are regular. And so it is really deep. And I'm glad that we had a chance to spin back to this episode to talk specifically about PTSD and to Mai's point, um, the complex PTSD. And so when we're talking about PTSD, where might you see PTSD affect individuals, families, and community after a shooting? And that's to both of y'all. This is the Mind Your Mentals podcast featuring Tim and Mal. So I, I could start. So I think one of the things is... Um, and one of the things when you when you think about a shooting, surviving a shooting, right? So if you if you're if you're luckily you know able to survive a shooting, there's certain things that should come into place, but sometimes don't. So the processing of the situation, right? And processing it can be complex because it could be a situation that you were a bystander, you were hit by a stray, or you or somebody within your community were doing something that led to that situation and you know you may have been abreast of it or just because of the the circumstances that you're in or you might engage with you, so that's you know just what happens but the f the effect of surviving i'll talk about surviving first and and, and my i can just let you speak towards you know experiencing loss but survival perspective right processing so have you had the ability to process being shot or, or experiencing a loved one being shot, right? What does that look like? Has, has there been an, an, a space, a safe space to talk about the experience? Has there been an acknowledgement of how devastating the thing, the situation is? Or has there been, on the other side, a numbing to it as a survival technique, right? So if I get shot, how does my wife respond, right? Moving forward, how do I respond, right? Do I take those those measures, right? So when the, uh, when we first we saw we saw this with social justice first happening, when you saw the guns being bought in droves, right? So everybody was responding to situations happening from afar that they saw through the news and some in person. But we as a lot of us going to get gun licenses, a lot of us going to to the gun shop and just strapping up because we didn't know what was going to occur, right? So think about it from that perspective of like, those are just 
the the fear of something happening to us but not directly happening to us now you add that mentality to something happening your guard and your alertness and your hypersensitivity to things shoot through the roof so you're just constantly aware you're constantly on edge you're you're the type of person there's this, this thing where and i don't know i've never experienced it but i can't I, i've gone i have i've had ten, friends and teammates who when i play football with them when we go out to eat they can't sit with their back to the door all right that's a real thing what is that from like that's a real thing to not be able to sit in a restaurant go somewhere and have your back to the door because of fear of not seeing what's going to come so that so those are some of the after effects i would say um and there's many more but those are some of the effects that i would say that happens after you know you survive a shooting my any anything you want to share with um you know the loss perspective of it well, I wanted to build off of what you said, too. Uh, one of my favorite professors at University of Maryland, and y'all should check out his, uh, his documentary, Life After the Gunshot, but he dedicated his whole life to gun violence. Um, and he just recently released uh, the documentary that he's been, you know, it was an ethnography project, you know, where he was, um, and he, shout out to Dr. Joe Richardson, he's from um, Uptown in Philadelphia, but, you know, he's, he's out in D.C. now, and, um, yeah, and, and, you know, he goes into, he's the first contact after these brothers is, is shot in the hospital, and just seeing, like, seeing the way that they deal with some of this PTSD, and when you, when you were talking to him, like, it made me think about one brother who had just gotten shot, he was so paranoid hearing somebody walk in the hallway, like, even with his gun wound, that he left, like, He's like, yo, they coming after me. And he's like, I kn- he's like, I knew what I was thinking was irrational, but it was like, I got to Like somebody's going to shoot me. And it's like, I know it's a doctor or something walking, but he's just, you know, that paranoid. Right. And so, you know, you talk about hypervigilance, like it's through the roof after you have an experience like that. My, my neighbor um, in West Philly, um, I don't know if y'all remember the shooting that just happened on, I, I want to say it was on 60th and it was a, it was a block party that got shot up. I don't know if y'all remember that happened a, a few weeks ago, but it, it's amazing. Like when we talk about, you know, people who are impacted by a community, right? Think about, think about me and then me, then I go to my barber who's right down the street and his daughter comes into the store and she's like, yo, my best friend got shot, you know? And, you know, remember hearing her name in the news? I'm like, dang, oh, that was your best friend? You know, and then it's like, wow. So I'm getting a haircut from my barber and his daughter's best friend is the one who got shot. So then I go, when I go back home and the next week, I'm talking to my next door neighbor. And she was like, yeah, you know, my daughter didn't make the news, but she's in the house for healing right now. She got shot um, twice. And it's just like, wait, so all of this happened. And it's like, and I, I mean, I just wouldn't have thought that it would be that close to me, right? Well, I heard about it on the news, okay. Like, and, you know, people, we were talking about it at my job and stuff like that. And people were saying, that's messed up. And then you're just hearing like, you know, this young child who's, you know, 18 years old um, or, or 16 years old saying her best friend got shot. Um, and then, you know, and then right there, my next door neighbor's daughter gets shot, right? And it's just like, like, wow, that happened in such a small radius. And so, so yeah, I just wanted to, to mention that, you know, yeah it's yeah it's really it's a it's a community impacting thing and i don't know if we really recognize it as a community impacting thing because of the idea that if it happens to me or if it happens to my close loved one the immediate response from the community is great and and it's you know it, it can be like you know supportive but then after the immediate response, then you're back to kind of just being alone. You know what right. I mean? So like, then like, it doesn't feel like a community impact. But then when you go into those, those circumstances and, and you have folks recalling something just happening, you can see the connection and the impact it has from the community. So I, I say that to say, I don't know if really, we really see this as a community issue, but it really is, right? And a part of it is because of the, the individual processing of, of a shooting, right? You have to process it individually. There's really not, and in, in, I will say years ago, Philly came up with this um, mental health first responders program that I was working with. And, and it was a it was a group that that went out and after a shooting or after a like a house burning 
down. They go out and they do mental health check. They do mental health first aid with the family in immediate action of the situation. But for the most part afterwards, the, the, the connection to now a therapist or some type of service coming out regularly is that's not realistic. And so when you experience a situation, you have to be the person that goes out and seeks the help, right? But you got to take time from your job, right? You, you, you got to take time from your job. And if you're not fortunate to have a job where those services or those things are in place as a, as a resource and as a benefit, then you're taking money out, your, out of your family's mouth because you can't go get the help you need. And so now there's this kind of choice you got to make. Do I change and go get the help I need to take time to deal with this PTSD, this trauma I just experienced, or do I stop the survival living things I have to do to feed my family and keep the roof over our heads, right? As far as like making sure I still get to work and everything. So it is a huge impact community-wise. And um, yeah, and, and on the other side, just the loss, the grief and loss process with, with losing somebody to gun violence. I'm not sure what our grief and loss looks like overall. You know, um, because because there's not really a lot of time to grieve. And I would say part of that is because right now we're having so many issues of gun violence. We're just looking at the numbers and we're not looking at the individual because when one person gets shot and, and, and dies, the situation is coming around the corner for two or three more people within the same vicinity. So our attention goes to the immediate situation and then to the next immediate situation, next immediate situation. And the problem is we have so many situations occurring right now that we're being numb to the grieving process in the whole scheme of things. Go ahead, my, my I, you want to say something, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I wanted to, I just wanted to, to speak to, this is another important fact that's problematic when it comes to mental health. And this is a reoccurring thing that I see. So I see parents, reaching out for their children to go to get therapy and you know which is a hard thing for them to do but they're almost sometimes what what i have witnessed is that they're almost um i don't want to say that they're deflecting but they have the trauma they have so much trauma that they want to work out and they think that you know that just helping the child will will fix things and and um and I'm like, we, we, you know, we as, you know, I'm not a parent, but, you know, uh, but parents need to, you know, also take into account their own mental health, right? And not get out of this survival mode that we've been in. You know, this is generational, right? And I, you know, and I tell them there could be something powerful about your child seeing you heal, right? I think that, I think that that can be even more healing for your child sometimes to see that, see you heal then for you to because then they're like they're not they're not dumb they're like mom mom I know mom you're, that you're not you're not as healthy as you need to be dad you're not as healthy as you need to be like so you know they're like you got me going to therapy and so sometimes I see that tension between like what why is mom sending me and and she's and she's messed up too like and so I think that's an important point to bring to the light yeah I mean your kids see what you do right like they hear what you say but they absolutely pay attention to your actions um and tim you mentioned like the community healing component i think that two things that both of you touched on kind of play into that um but really how do you take the time to heal so first where's the funding for those sorts of situations right like you know those type of opportunities that are community driven they're also relying on community funding right like they're usually relying on some sort of state funding or federal funding and those are the first programs that get cut and so you know when we're looking for that sort of support it doesn't exist or you have to look really hard to find it tim as you mentioned you may not be in a position financially where you can take that time you may not have a situation i remember at one of my jobs i had a thousand dollar deductible before they would start like cutting the price on therapy and I just walked away from it. I started smoking more weed, yo, because I'm like, well, listen, before I spend that thousand, I could spend a thousand dollars on weed and get it right. I was clearly wrong. But in my mind, I justified my actions because I just could not figure out how I would financially be able to carry that burden. And I had a pretty good job, you know, and I wasn't dealing with any and nothing close to what, you know, a lot of the folks that we're talking about today do. Um, and then you talked about the community healing part when three and four people are getting shot all in the same community all that same day, 
where do you even start? You got four different families that are now going through that grief and loss process simultaneously, and they aren't necessarily chaining together to grieve together, right? You know, you may have four people that got shot in a day. It could be two opposite factions, right? So like two different groups shooting at each other. And so those families aren't going to come together. You know, when you talk about the retribution process, when somebody gets shot here and they've been warring with this group for generations, they now go to their neighborhood and get and get payback. And so this whole cycle we talked about the first time around is just traumatic, right? And my, you mentioned it's generational. This isn't something that just started specifically in Philadelphia. I mean, I was born here in 85 by the early to mid nineties. It was on the popping out here, man. And, you know, really has never stopped. You could apply that to Baltimore. You could apply that to DC. Um, you could apply that to New York city, go to California and Compton and all of those different places. It, it's happening simultaneously. And, you know, I really do think y'all are bringing a lot of value to the fact that maybe we need to stop and start putting faces to these numbers, start putting actual people and images and, and conversations and stories. And my, you mentioned your, your undergrad professor who did that documentary, like there's more information that needs to be gathered and just presented, right? And, you know, I talk all the time about what is PTSD doing to our students in school? You know, we want them to go to school and learn and we want, we want them to leave everything at the door. But if they've never learned how to process grief, if they're living with it every single day, what effect is that having on their developing brain? And ultimately, like, what is being left behind from a school standpoint? Because listen, if I got to make it to school safe and get home safe, School ain't really my priority at that point. Survival is. And so, you know, I think that there are tons of conversations we as a Black community need to start having um, that, you know, they're definitely taking place, but are they taking place with the right people? You know, are the right voices being heard? Are we bringing the right people to the table? Or is it many times a lot of academics that are theorizing on other people's experiences, but not actually taking the time to allow those people or give those people the platform to speak for themselves? I just wanted I just wanted to uh, make it even more tangible, right? Because we're talking about mental health, right? And we're talking about, you know, a lot of things from a therapeutic lens, but but just on the most like on the most tangible level that people can can understand, like, so this shooting happened at a black a block party, right? And people was trying to go outside and barbecue. And so, you know, me having this conversation at, at the barbershop. It's like, see, this is why you can't go to barbecues. This is why you can't go to block parties. And it's just like, wow, like to think that we wouldn't right. be able to come come together and celebrate as a people to, right. to you know, and dance in the street. Like, so now, right. you know, and so he's that's what he, that's what the barber told his daughter. That's why you're not allowed to go to block parties because you know it, it attracts good people, but it also attract is going to attract the street people too, right. or whatever. And it's just like, damn, that's the conclusion that we got to come to, or. Or what are we going to put our energy into creating a safer environment, you know, for us to celebrate together as a people? And, and that's part of our, that's a huge part of our mental health, um, getting to see people and getting to know our neighbors, getting to, to, to be around our aunts and uncles like that. You know, we can't just be afraid now together as people, you know, so I think that's something that needs to be addressed as well. And it goes back to Tim, you know, your component around like the community healing. Um, if we can't come together as a community, how do we heal as one, right? You know, that it's happening at graduation parties, people getting shot at memorials, right? Like somebody died, we all come together collectively to celebrate this person's life. And then they shoot more people at the memorial, right? People getting shot at wakes and at, and at funerals. I mean, it, yeah, those are real conversations. You know, those are conversations that I've heard people have, like, Yo, that's why I don't go to block parties. That's why I don't go to house parties anymore. Cause you know, nobody's coming to party any longer. They just come in to shoot. And, and my, you make a great point, okay. You know, so then we're all individualized and siloed out. That's even worse for your mental health. You know, you you don't find any break at that point. You just stuck with your thoughts and you're stuck in your environment for real. Yeah, you know, and it's it's crazy. So I've been in Philly, I think like 12 years now. And like you it's certain Philly staples, right? So Philly staples, you know, cheese steak, you know, that that's a Philly pretzel, you know, staple. You know, the Philly block party is a staple. Like <laughs> it's a staple spring into the fall block parties birthday parties on 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 kelly drive on cop used to be cops Creek parkway like north like those are staples and those staples now they're a risk they're like a real risk to come together and celebrate each other and, and celebrate a birthday or celebrate 
just a community like you used to get permits for those things like that was just a part of the thing right you can't do that no more you can't get it if you if you get a permit to have a block party you're you're create potentially be creating a risk now for somebody to get shot and that's it's unfathomable it's really unthinkable that this is where we're at but this is our reality right now so um yeah that sense of community that has been losing i wouldn't say lost but losing it's being lost at this point because the things that we're used to the things that bring safety which is some will talk about um how do you address this routines and rituals and consistency you can't do those things you can't you can't get together you can't come together as a community because of fear of somebody who's going to shoot it up so that's a real thing man i appreciate you bringing that up now because that's to the core, as I sit here and talk, talk as I sit here and think about it, like it's breaking my heart. <laughs> it's really breaking my heart to think that you can't even celebrate each other. You can't the the little that we have, right? As a people, we don't have a lot, but the little that we have, the what we know how to do is celebrate each other and come together. That's a threat. That breaks my heart, man. Just to just to think and hear that, you know, it really does. And like joy and black joy, right? Like those are joyous occasions, you know. Think about again to your point how how often do we get a chance to experience black joy individually but then zoom out how often do we get a chance to experience black joy collectively and so you know we we, we descend from african people you directly myself you know a little bit more indirectly but nonetheless those are my antecedents and tribes were a thing right like joy was a thing you know we celebrated each other and ourselves and so, yeah, man, you know, when we don't have those safe spaces, I think about parents not wanting to take their kids to the playground, right? Like you can't let your kids play on the front steps. You can't let your kids be in the street. Like I grew up playing street football. We grew up playing in the street, right? And so, you know, when you're so fearful that you can't let your kid, my mention, I don't even want my girlfriend walking to the corner. Yo, you know, we have now like the walls just coming around us. Um, and it's very unhealthy and we're in the middle of a pandemic. So we already can't go a bunch of places. And so the little bit of joy that we can actually find in the midst of COVID is also being taken away from us because people are making a decision that like, listen, this is the perfect time to get retribution. You know, we know that they're going to be there. And also we don't care who we hit. It's not targeted. It's not individualized. It's whoever we catch on this block. Whenever we spin this block, got to catch it right now. And it could be innocent civilians. To my point, it could be little eight-year-olds. I saw a video where a dad got shot with his three-year-old son. It used to be a thing you saw somebody with their kids. It wasn't a word getting put in. That's out the window now. When we catch them, we bet them. And, you know, the just the ramifications of that is so wide-ranging. I worry for our kids, man. And so that sort of leads us into the next question that, you know, we wanted to explore, which is what are some of the ways that we can combat, combat PTSD? You know, we talked about what, what are the symptoms, Tim, you went in depth with that. We talked about, you know, what, what it looks like to not be able to grieve as a community, but we really want to, with the Mind Your Mentals podcast, arm people, no pun intended, but give people the skills that they need to start that grieving process, to be able to process these things. So, you know, I would love to hear from the two of you. What are some of the ways that people can combat their PTSD? What are some of the things that you would suggest? The first thing that I, I want to say is that I want to, I think we need to start by helping people be able to recognize it, right? And recognize what it, what does it look like? Um, you know, and again, we're talking about removing the stigma so many stigmas around all of these things, right? But but helping people, you know, have the skills to, to recognize, right? The, um, the, that 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 they they've been traumatized, and I'm I'm going to go back again to that to that that story of like of this young man, you know, being shot in his face and saying, you know, uh, is it is it is it okay for me to get therapy? But I mean, he did recognize, you know, I'm not able to sleep at night. I do keep on, I just keep on having a dream about being shot, right? Um, but but realizing like okay you need help that means that you need help right you need to you we need to we need to stop leaning on pills leaning on smoking weed leaning on uh, alcohol because these are all things that do what these are all things that desensitize us from from feeling right and we want to you know go through that process and have somebody to be be there to facilitate us getting more connected with our feelings one of the things uh, that 
is is being threatened, but honestly, it's routines and rituals. All right. So routines and rituals essentially it's creating situations and circumstances are that are predictable because a, a post-traumatic uh, stress disorder, one of the things that you that that gets stirred up and really is driven is anxiety around the unknown, right? So the more routines and rituals and consistent consistency we can create, the more it helps us to alleviate us from anxiety, right? So routines and ritual might be uh, consistently doing the same thing over and over again. So consistently taking the same route to school, right? It, it consistently, you know, getting up every day, doing the same thing over and over. And if somebody is, if, if somebody is, is to meet you at 50% of that, meaning if there's somebody meets you to pick you up, that person being consistent, right? So what you're trying to create is the rituals aspect of it is celebrating when holidays come up, making sure you celebrate birthdays, making sure you celebrate milestones, making sure that you acknowledge, it, not to memorialize days that post experience, but making sure you understand, acknowledge that if you survive an experience like that, you're still here. And so you still have a great life to live. And so trying to put your eyes into the into the driver's seat as far as looking at your future on a road and not living too much in a rearview mirror as far as letting the letting the situation re be, be the thing you focus on and you're replaying a reviewing or replaying the situation over and over again even though sometimes it's hard because there's intrusive thoughts intrusive dreams but just keeping your eyes moving forward and having the installation of hope being hopeful that you know, you you can with uh, with the support that you need can drive towards a positive future. Breathing, right? Our breath. I always talk about our breath in, a, in on our podcast, but our breath is so important. Ensure that you look up different ways to breathe. When you're breathing, taking longer, intensive breaths as opposed to short breathing. Short breathing drives our heart rate up. If we can be intentional about delayed and dramatic breathing. It helps us slow our heart rate down. Our heart rate drives our anxiety or lowers our anxiety. So that's what we want to make sure that we have great breathing techniques. I'll talk about that 646 or that six in, six hold, six release as far as exhaling. So making sure we have some breathing techniques to help us along the way. Paying attention, right? Awareness of where you are, making sure that you're not just numbing yourself to the situation that you're not trying to numb yourself to the emotions and, and feelings that you have, but really paying attention and monitoring yourself and having others help to monitor you as well, right? Just to have that support system. Mindfulness techniques, um, I'm a big believer in mind, mindfulness and dialectic behavior therapy, being conscious of your, of your environment, looking at the good things in your environment and not just the negative things. Those are things that really can help to drive some positivity into your environment, into your, into your mindset and into your uh, presence. And then lastly, uh, some other things, journaling, writing, behavior activation, stillness, disconnection drives PTSD as opposed to activation, engaging in positive, constructive things that really get you moving, really get you, whether it's taking up new activities, new hobbies, whichever it might be, just making sure that you're in a space to where you're not just disconnecting. Disconnecting helps to, to drive the intrusive thoughts, night terrors. That's what disconnection does because you're, you're, allowed to, you're allowing yourself to sit and kind of steward and replay the situation over and over again, as opposed to being active, not as a distraction, but as something positive as far as picking up a hobby or something. So those are just some things we can do. There's, there's a lot. And honestly, the, the main one is just, <laughs> I'm a therapist, but I, therapy. Therapy, connecting therapeutic groups. You don't necessarily have to go to therapy, but having uh, groups with folks who align with the same situation but are creating space for healing, that's really important. Healing through connection is really important and really powerful. So those are just some of the things I think off the top of my head that could really help. Yeah, I love the suggestion around group therapy because you get a chance to hear from other people, their experiences, how they overcome it. What are some of the things that they've done in regards to that list of suggestions that you had 
that work for them. And also just knowing you aren't alone, right? Like I think just that in and of itself is so important. Many times we think our experiences are our experiences only. And then you find out, no, there's a whole group of people that have had similar experiences and that becomes a new community for you. And in those spaces specifically, it's a safe space, but also a community healing aspect, right? And that's step one towards the healing. Um, and definitely wanted to just hit on the breathing which I really do think is so important, regulating your breathing when you feel yourself, because you know, with my, my anxiety, PTSD, like they trigger each other. My PTSD triggers my anxiety. And so my heart rate starts to peak and I feel myself start to sweat. And like the minute that now I've identified these things through therapy, I'm able to regulate my, my breathing, regulate my heart rate, identify what about my surroundings or what about my env environment is now triggering this in me what what is this bringing up right like why am i going into this sort of fight or flight um thought process and then being able to kind of bring myself out of it something that also helped me which was being outside um because you know it had me wanting to be in the crib you know things that i've seen and experienced i was like I, being outside is unsafe but then you can't just stay holed up in your house, right? Like you can't just stay inside consistently. And so find the safe places, safe spaces for you to explore. I like going to the woods. I mean, it sucks to have all those mosquitoes out there, but like being in nature gives you a chance to see and experience something that you don't on a regular basis. And so really just find the safe places and safe spaces for you to explore and just be yourself um, has really helped me specifically. Ma, I saw you wanted to ask something as well. Yeah, I just wanted to say, so, you know, as far as, as far as therapy goes, you know, I think that that a lot of a lot of types of therapy can help. Specifically, EMDR um, therapy um, is a, a safe space for somebody to, you know, e EMDR is all about, you know, helping clients get back in touch with with th those traumatic thoughts that they're having. Um, but but having a therapist re reintroduce them in a safe environment, right? And so we're we're um, you know, changing the way that the brain, you know, sees these things, right? When you, so when you, so EMDR is something that can specifically help, you know, I had a client who hit a, um, a couple while he was driving and they died on his windshield, right? And so every time it rains, he, you know, he keeps seeing that image over and over again, right? You know, but so at, at some point it's like, all right, if, if CBT, if DBT is not working, right, then, then EMDR is possible, right? Because that's, that's a specific, you know, way of of addressing, you know, you know, reconnecting to those thoughts and 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 uh, reforming the brain. EMDR. Give the people a little bit about what it stands for. EMDR. It's eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Got it. Got it. Yeah. So I I definitely agree with that. Sometimes the situation is not just about the actual connection of thought. It's literally about rewiring the brain right is literally just saying like my brain has been such so impacted by this situation i need something to help restructure and reformat how i experience this situation so i'm i'm grateful for you for bringing that um suggestion up with using emdr as a way to as a therapy to help process ptsd awesome awesome suggestions man yeah and so my you know as we are sort of wrapping up here just want to thank you for joining us today uh, we spoke a little bit in the beginning of just sort of how this was full circle. Uh, I got a chance to meet you through the homie Steve, as did Tim. And, you know, it was funny when he called me and we spoke about the episode. He was like, yeah, I want to bring the homie Maya on. Like, we're going to converse about this. And your name is so unique that I was like, well, chances are I know the same person. <laughs> I was talking about him for the same thing. And so, you know, we thank you for coming on sort of like a last minute request. But we really appreciate you making the time today to talk with us. Uh, we also want to give you a chance to just shout yourself out or shout your practice out. I know you mentioned that you had your uh, your own business as well. And so how can our listeners get in touch with you um, and, and gain access to your services? So, yeah. Um, so I want to, I got to shout out a few different things, right? So so I'm the co-executive director of the Men's Center for Growth and Change. We see um, clients, we have a sliding scale, you know, so, you know, we'll see clients um, who are low income, um, at the Men's Center for Growth and Change. But yeah, you know, I also, you know, we also have uh, anger management that we do there and, and group therapy. And, you know, this, these conversations, you know, I think that now is the time that to, to start a Black men's group. You know, that's something that I think people should look forward to. I, I want to offer a free Black men's group 
to people, you know? Um, and so that's something that people should look forward to. As far as getting in contact with me, you know, they can, they can hit me on the gram. My gram um, is the fashion underscore therapist, the fashion underscore therapist. Um, and so, yeah, you know, that came out of uh, my students. I teach at Temple University as well. I teach conflict resolution and my students was just like, yo, Professor Span Wilson, man, you dress so nice. You got to start an Instagram just for your fashion. And I was like, I mean, I'm not going to just start only a fashion Instagram but I got, so the fashion therapist, all right. Cause, and, cause people would stop me on the street too. Like, yo, can you help me, you know, be suited and booted? Like, yo, your suits is crazy and all that stuff. So, you know, since the pandemic, I, I fell off cause I haven't been wearing suits like that during the pandemic. But, um, but yeah, so the fashion underscore therapist and people can email me at, at um, M-A-I-S-P-A-N-N at uaforce.org. Um, so yeah, people can email me and reach out to me that way as well. Yeah. And we'll make sure to post your social media, um, and definitely post you at you on, on our social media posts when the show comes out again, man, really just appreciate you. Um, and he didn't speak about the spoken word, but he also is a heck of a spoken word artist as well. Rapper, um, my man be putting the bars together. So really just overall talented, uh, dope dude, man. And so again, we appreciate you coming on. Uh, Tim, as always, I, I just love connecting with you, my brother. It's been a hot second because I had to go to New York and, you know, pieces are moving you back, school's back in action. But, you know, anytime I get a chance to connect with you and, and really continue to explore like the mental health components, all of the different things that we've talked about already, um, it, it's just great. It's like, you know, camaraderie amongst brothers. My, you know, Tim and I were talking about, you know, what could uh, a mental health or, or a men's group look like. And so there could even be some synergy there in regards to trying to help put something together for our community and for our people, man, because like you said, there's no better time than now, right? Like, you know, what's holding us back. We know that there's an issue and you can either sit back and do nothing, or you could be proactive and get out there and try to make change. And so as three people that are action oriented and really focused on bringing about change for the black and brown community, I see no reason why we can't at least have a conversation around how we can help each other. Right. And so, you know, I appreciate it. And I love y'all brothers, man. You know, I wish y'all safety and well-being, and not only you, but your families as well, as we go through a pandemic and also all of these other things that we just have to manage on an everyday basis. But yeah, man, again, thank you for joining us. My, any last things you want to add Tim? Yeah, no, nah, I just want to um, sh- just say my love you, bro. Um, my I love you, bro. That that's that's the energy and that's the way we move with. Um, yes, that's 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 the energy we want to put out into the community. We love each other because we recognize we are powerful together, yep. but in but in and individually as well. You know, you guys are some powerful men, and your your actions have impact. You know yes. that you see and that you don't see, and it's positive impact. And this is what we're trying to corral, and this yep. is what we're trying to multiply, and this is what we're trying to distribute. Right, just powerful, positive black men who are here righteously doing the things that we need to do for our community. So I love you guys, man. Stay encouraged for our listeners. Stay encouraged. Help on the way, and the help is each other. <laughs> we 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 coming right. So stay encouraged, and if we're not there yet, you take the baton and you start making change in your community. So I love you guys out there. Stay positive, stay present, and mind your mentals. Yeah, always mind your mentals, man, and seek therapy right? Like, you know, I want to harp on that last point. Again, you can do a lot on your own. We can do a lot as a community, but there are literally people, my mom told me I say literally too much. So she's going to hear that and cringe, but there are people out here that went to school for this, that specialize in it. We have two of them on the podcast today. Um, You can always check out Ryan Mundy's Alchemy Health as well. uh, Another great resource for online help. There are so many different resources that you can explore. My has a low cost option for you. Um, And so really do the work. Um, and parents, like my said, do the work. Your kids need the help, but so do you. You're dealing with trauma that happened even before they were born, right? And so, you know, we all need to do the work. We all have so many different things to unpack so that we can move forward collectively as a strong Black group, man. And so, uh, yeah, my any last things you want to add? Can I give you four bars? Give them four bars, brother. Absolutely. You got it. I'm going to give them four bars. All right. I care more about Black health than Black wealth. Tell me what that means when I can't afford what's on the shelf contradictions in my own mind, post-traumatic thought disorder. You ought to be taking me back like a tape recorder. So, all right, just wanted to give y'all four balls. 
four bars of heat right there. <laughs> Top five bars right there. That's what I'm talking about, my man. And so, my appreciate you. Love you, bro. Tim, appreciate you. Love you. Uh, everybody you listening, too, like Tim says, stay present, stay positive. This is another episode of the Mind Your Mentals podcast. Keep tuning in every other Sunday. Follow us on our socials. Uh, if you have questions, you can always reach out to us and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. We appreciate y'all listening. Have a good one. Thank you as always for listening to an episode of Mind Your Mentals podcast featuring Tim and Mal. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can always contact us through our Gmail account at mindyourmentalspodcast at gmail.com or reach out to us through our website, mindyourmentals.com. That's M-I-N-D-Y-A-M-E-N-T-A-L-S.com. Also, please make sure to follow us on all of our social media pages. You can find us on Facebook, YouTube, and LinkedIn at Mind Your Mentals Podcast featuring Tim and Mal. On Twitter at Mind underscore Ya, that's Y-A underscore Mentals. And on Instagram at M-Y-M Podcast. As always, we really appreciate you. Stay present, stay positive, stay focused on your mental health. And if you ever need anything from us, don't hesitate to reach out.